Good morning, everybody. I want to um, just welcome you. May is one of those months that you blink and it's over. There's a lot of things that happen in our lives in the month of May. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, life just flies. This morning, I want to ca- hopefully open your mind up imaginatively to what the gospel is. Now, for some of you, this um, conversation might not feel very new. That's okay. But imagine you have a piece of art in your house or a piece of art that you love to look at, and every single time you look at it, you're kind of kind of captivated again, or you see something you haven't seen before. Maybe for some of you, it's a piece of music, a song, a lyric. Maybe it's a movie. Maybe it's a film that you, every time you see it, you're like, wow, I didn't even notice that part of the story. For me, that's what the gospel is. The, uh, the other day, I was uh, thinking about how I was going to have this conversation with you, and um, I've been reading a book called Water from a Deep Well, and it's literally, a, <laughs> for some of you are just like, of course you are reading this. It's a church history book, <laughs> and it goes through different kind of seasons of church history, whether it's the early church or something called monasticism, uh, or uh, which is where you know cloistered monks and they would brew beer and wear really hideous-looking brown robes. And right now, just so you know, kind of where we're at. I don't know where we are in this age, but it's kind of this age of evangelicalism. And evangelicalism, while given a bad rap throughout. The news, and for good reason, certain things that have happened. Evangelicalism has been about sharing the gospel, about announcing who God is to people. Now, one of the ways that we've done that in the past is through something called a tract. Has anybody ever gotten a tract? Like a few of you? Okay, yes. And it was funny because I was thinking about talking about this, and we got a tract fairy at our house. Someone left a plastic bag with not only a tract, a tract, I'm going to help you out. Um, it's, it's paper, for those of you who are used to digital things, and <laughs> it's, it's, it's just like a little, like a few verses that kind of walk you through um, sharing the gospel to you, Right? And this particular one had, it was, it, was, it was halfway decent. It wasn't cheesy. There wasn't like cartoon pictures of hell and stuff like that. But um, it also had a list of churches in the neighborhood, or in the area. And had like, it was like a DVD. It was like a DVD. It was just like, was like oh my goodness, I was going to talk about the Romans Road today. So if you haven't, if you're not familiar with the Romans Road, it was a way um, to walk through um, the story of God, the gospel, right, with certain verses from the book of Romans. Has anybody heard of the Romans Road before? A few of us have. 
Kind of, the, kind of the older few of us have, okay? Now, the tricky part about the Romans road is it's much, I mean, it's a collection of verses out of like this signature letter that Paul wrote to the Roman house churches. And it's designed to lead people on a path to salvation, okay? But it starts, it's like hopscotch. And you start on a square, and the first square is the problem. And the problem is, it starts in Romans 3.23. So the problem is the beginning, which is weird because the book, never mind. Um, so the problem is all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, okay? And then you jump to the peril, okay, the next thing, which is Romans 6, Sorry, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. And, the, you know, and, and then you jump to the next thing, which is uh, Romans, well, 8, I would say. But, um, and, then, and then you jump to the next thing, which is Romans 10. And we talked about Romans 10 last week. Do you guys remember that little conversation? If you missed it, you can check it out. If you confess with your mouth that, mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay? But then it ends. There's no chapter 12 or 15 or there's none of those things. Because we just kind of like, it's kind of like blackout poetry. Anybody do blackout poetry? No? Do you know what this is? Where you take a sheet of typed paper and you black out everything just to make four or five little phrases come alive? That's kind of what this is. Now, it's all very neat. It's all very tidy you know, wrapped up, bow on it, um, problem diagnosed, problem solved, souls saved. Except for all of that, I mean, I, I get the heart behind it, and if the heart behind it is love, then I love the heart behind it, right? All of that is very alien to the purpose of the book of Romans. So, for the most part, here's the thing. I support that whole understanding, okay? Um, I believe we're all human sinners and we have different allegiances and we all need salvation and healing. Totally agree. But I'm interested in the whole story. Like, I'm interested in the whole letter. And Romans, like I said, is not a letter about your personal salvation. It's, it's actually something even bigger it's about this community that's living in empire and Paul is trying to show them because of what Jesus has done, they are actually a new humanity. They have like a new purpose and they have a new thing that has to get worked out amongst them. It's about the gospel. It's, a, it's about our response to the gospel and it's about doing all of that in the midst of other gospels. <laughs> And so Romans 1, page red, it said this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So here's what he's going to say the gospel is, okay? It's not going to sound super amazing because you're, you're hoping for a slick presentation, but he says this, regarding his son, 
who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through him, we received grace and apostleship to call the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a few other passages where Paul defines the gospel. Okay? 1 Corinthians 15 is one of those. It goes like this. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand, by this gospel you are healed. You are saved. You are rescued. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. And this is where he defines the gospel. That Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And he goes on to talk about how Jesus appeared to Cephas and a bunch of other people. It was really cool. And then here's a final definition of the gospel that Paul writes. He writes this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2. He says this, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. So the problem is, is that for many of us, we tend to confuse the gospel with our response to the gospel. They're two different things. The gospel content and our response to the gospel. The gospel is first and foremost about Jesus. It's not about us. It's about Jesus, first and foremost. When it becomes about us is our response to it. But it's still not about us. We're just responding. And that's the good news because it's good news and it's not good advice. It's more than just about saving our souls. It's actually about changing everything. It's about Jesus' enthronement as king, as the Jewish people would understand that Messiah language, right? Not just king, but king of kings. And Lord, very Roman language. And not just Lord, but Lord of lords. So this is the announcement that almost got Paul killed over and over and over again. He is, at one point, he's in Thessalonica. And he's hanging out with some guys, one of them named Jason. He's staying at Jason's house. I I bet you didn't know Jason's a biblical word. So for those of you named Jason, no one here, maybe. Um, He's hanging out at Jason's house, but he is announcing something, and he's getting into trouble. And a group of people came looking for Paul. And in, in Acts chapter 17, it says this, but when they did not find him, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the, city's, the city officials, shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees. 
saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. So, they're attacked, and, and they go to Jason's house, and they're, and they're attacked for, for announcing this king, Jesus. They're turning the world upside down. They're causing trouble all over the world. Paul says the gospel is about Jesus. You know, they're not trying to drag Paul out of Jason's house because Paul said that they should accept Jesus as their personal savior. They're actually announcing something that is like a little bit more influential than that. Paul says the gospel is about Jesus. Jesus says the gospel is about himself. In all the announcements of Jesus in the gospels, um, all four of the gospels are the announcement of Jesus. So in Mark 1, actually the beginning, the title of Mark is Euangelion Kata Markon. The gospel according to Mark. The announcement according to Mark. And it starts, Mark 1 says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And then 15 verses later, it says this. This is Jesus. The time has come, he said. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God has come near. So the content of the gospel is the kingdom of God has come near. The response to it is to turn your life towards it. Reorient your whole self towards that. Because at the time, uh, you guys know history, but you got Julius Caesar before, obviously before Jesus, uh, split the empire. Julius Caesar is assassinated. The empire splits. It's going to be co-ruled by two people, Mark Antony and Octavian. Co-rulership doesn't go well. There's a civil war. Mark Antony, Cleopatra, you might know the story. There's a decisive battle, 31 BC. Um, It's the Battle of Actium. It's kind of a naval battle. It's decisive. Octavian wins, renames himself Augustus. Um, Deuce Phileas, uh, Lord and Savior, Prince of Peace. Do, do those words sound familiar? <laughs> and he sends out evangelists to evangelize the empire and to spread the good news, the gospel. Octavian defeated the rebels and unified the empire. Let's throw this on the screen. It says this, the birthday of the god Caesar Augustus was the beginning for the world of glad tidings, good news that have come to men through him. So a couple of years before Augustus, Octavian returns to Rome, the Romans had to decide. All the different people in the Senate, all the different people in military tribes and things like that had to decide, do we repent and believe the gospel? 
Do we become Augustus people? And this is the language in which all this is happening about Jesus. Now, I'm amazed thinking about this time because this moment in world history, if you were to ask historians, it was the the center of the world economically, culturally, militarily. This was, if God was going to do his work, this was the time to do it. And that's what happened. The kingdom of God is not just spiritual. It's also not a sociopolitical kind of make the world a better place progressivism. It's not heaven and it's not the church. It's not a moralistic enclave. The kingdom of God is the reign of God, the rule of God, and the range of God's effective will. And that's what Jesus announces. The kingdom of God is near. Give up your agenda and trust mine. Now, I'm just going to kind of zip ahead a little bit. I had some other things I wanted to say but they don't seem that important at the moment. The gospel is a confrontation of allegiance. That's what it is. It confronts our allegiance. We tend to confuse the content of the gospel with, our, with the benefits of the gospel, Right? The benefits of the gospel I've been told for much of my life is forgiveness and going to heaven when I die. Which is great. I'm t- <laughs> pretty cool with that. But in this letter, it's much more than that. You got this gathering. You guys remember why, we're, why we did this letter backwards. And for some of you who are just joining us, we started in 16 and we ended back to 12, and then we went to 9, went to 11. You're like, what is going on? Well, we had to get an idea why they wrote this letter. Why, why did Paul write this? And he wrote it because there's just maybe 200 people that are following Jesus in Rome. And they're clustered up in five-ish house churches. And they're not getting along And it's this gathering of Gentiles and Jews in this new community that Paul wants to see flourish. That the gospel is an antidote to the divisions that existed in the church. An antidote to teach them how to live in unity in this new humanity, this new kingdom together. This is why Paul tells the Corinthians a totally separate group of house churches, to be agents of reconciliation. That's why he tells them that, because of the gospel, because of King Jesus. It's this announcement that the powers of evil in principle have been defeated in and through Jesus Christ, and this reality will bring reordering. And it starts with this little group that have committed, that have turned, that have given their allegiance to Jesus. Now, Paul goes on in the letter as we wrap up. Paul goes on the letter in Romans 1, 16 and 17. I'm going to read two versions of it to help us understand. 
He says in verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. There's another translation of that. I'm not ashamed of the good news. It's God's power bringing salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also equally to the, to the Greek. This is because God's covenant justice is unveiled in it. From faithfulness to faithfulness. As it says in the Bible, the just shall live by faith. That word believe means to trust. That word faith is the word, the Greek word pistos, which means allegiance. Righteousness, this idea of like right relationship with God and each other, ourselves and creation, this covenant justice. And salvation is rescuing and healing. That's the beauty of these words. The gospel is great news. It's not just good advice. That all of this happened in and through Jesus. And one day it will happen completely and utterly to all creation. And that we humans, every single one of us, whoever we are, can be caught up in the transformation of it right now. It begins to transform us right now. We walk into a community with the burdens on our shoulders and the hurts and the pains and the frustration, and God can actually begin to heal us right now because of what he's done for us. And so instead of suggesting that we one day will escape earth and go to heaven, Jesus's good news is about heaven coming to earth right now, like right now right where you are at, right where I am at. And one of the things I think is crazy about this, when you think about, think about it in this way, Caesar's, Augustus sends these evangelists out, these messengers, and they didn't go around the world saying, Caesar is Lord, so if you feel like you need a little bit of Roman Empire kind of experience in your life... You might want to submit to him. The challenge of Paul's gospel is that someone very different to Caesar is exercising a very different kind of power. And that is the world's true Lord. And it will take this whole letter that Paul is writing for them and for us to discover that what that means in practice. What does that really mean for us in practice? Do we just go on our way? Kind of like Tim was saying earlier, do we just go on our way and do our own things? Or, do, or does it mean something? The presence of this king, the presence of this power in our lives. Scott McKnight writes this. I'm going to throw this on the screen. The gospel isn't like an advertisement for a product we might or might not want to buy. 
depending on how we felt at the time. It's more like a command from an authority we would be foolish to resist. And so that's my questions for us this morning. What do we do with this as a church? And I've been saying for weeks, it's not about individual stuff. It's not about you and you and you and your personal little beam to God. And it's about we. It's about our response to it, but it's also about how it impacts how we live as a community and what we do. It's about all of that. And I'm going to pray. I'm going to just give us space to wrestle with these together. Wrestle with this idea of the gospel together in its beauty. God, this morning, we, we admit that we want things to have a linear formula. We like things presented to us as problem solution, outcome. But I'm just amazed and blown away by the magnitude of what this means. That all the different allegiances that come up in my heart seem to over and over again lead to death lead to dead ends, lead to broken relationships and pain. But when I rest in allegiance and faith and trust, when I turn my heart and my life and my mouth and my head and my money and my, my living and my breathing towards your kingdom, towards you as my rescuer and my savior, towards you as my Lord and my God, I begin to taste life again. We begin to to experience your healing and your transformation. And that is what is always on offer to us. May we open our hearts to that again. Amen.